Hey, happy Easter, everybody. Hey, thanks so much for being here. We're just really thrilled and uh, really glad and, and excited. And uh, just a big welcome uh, to everybody. And, you know, the reason that we're, I think, so excited is we just think that Easter is the best weekend. And the reason that we feel that way is we think it's the most important one. You know, there's a lot of great weekends out there. you got Memorial Day weekend, Labor Day weekend, Fourth of July weekend. For sports fans, we've got the Final Four weekend next weekend. We've got Super Bowl weekend, right? But we feel like by far the best weekend is Easter weekend. And the reason is because if you're a follower of Jesus, everything that you believe really hinges on what happened on Easter. And that separates Christianity from other philosophies, from other religions and teachings, because Christianity is not based on a book or a prophet or a teacher. It has those things, but it really hinges on and is based on the events that happened that first Easter when Jesus came back from the dead. And uh, that's why we love to, to celebrate it, and that's why we're so happy that you're here with us. Now, if you're new, you probably figured this out already, we're not a very traditional kind of church, but we do have uh, some traditions, and uh, one of those, not just on Easter, but all year long when we teach the message of Jesus, we like to give people an opportunity to, to uh, respond to it, to accept it. And, uh, you know, this is nothing weird. We don't make you come down front and confess, you know, your worst sins from junior high or any, nothing like that, nothing like that. In the New Testament, when people would accept the message of Jesus, they would express that decision by getting baptized. And so we're going to give you that opportunity today. After the service, we're going to baptize some people. And some of you came prepared to do that. But this is open to anybody. And uh, we encourage you to uh, think about that and consider that uh, as we go. We have everything that you uh, need. All right, well, today we're wrapping up this series we've been in. It's called uh, The Road. And we've been talking about the last week of Jesus' life as he marches to the cross in Jerusalem. And on that road, he experiences all different kinds of difficulties that you and I experience throughout our lives. Things like betrayal and rejection and dread and pain and loneliness. But Jesus presses through those things to be able to follow his father. Now, the truth is, all of us are on a road, right? And, you know, all of us have pretty much the same destination. We want happiness, we want health, and we want heaven, the three H's, right? That's what we want. The problem is that we get so sidetracked by the things that happen around us and to us that many of us never reach our full destination, and we end up stuck on the side of the road. Now, all of us have had that experience before in a car, right, where you get stranded in your car, it breaks down, and uh, you, get, you get stuck. It's, it's not a fun thing, not a fun experience. One of my most vivid memories of uh, having a car breakdown happened uh, many years ago, and uh, this might make you feel better about yourself because I, I did something really dumb. Uh, we lived in western Kentucky, not too far from the Ohio River, and so there was a very high water table and when it would rain, the streets would, would flood uh, a, a little bit, which wasn't a big deal. You could just drive through it normally. But one day, we got a lot of rain. And I'm on my way driving home, but I can see, you know, up ahead, the road to our apartment is, is flooded with water. And so I stopped, and I thought to myself, you know, I wonder how much, I wonder how deep that water is. And uh, because you can't tell by looking, you know, and so I had to decide, am I going to, you know, take a detour and go way out of my way, or am I just going to go for it? And, uh, you know, now if my wife would have been with me, uh, Marnie, uh, you know, uh, she would have said, Ben, you know, take the detour, go around and uh, don't go through it. But I tend to be more optimistic and have more faith about these kind of decisions. And so I'm in my uh, powerful Toyota Corolla thinking I can take this thing and I got a head start going 
And, uh, you know, I went for it, but it kind of looked like this picture uh, right here. Yeah. Yeah, I baptized my car right there. Almost sent it to heaven. And uh, the water got, got up in the engine, stopped it. I, I had to get towed. Fortunately, there was no permanent damage. They just replaced the uh, spark plugs. But that was the last time I went for it on a flooded uh, road. Now, maybe you've never had that experience, but you've, gotten, you've probably gotten stuck in a car. Or I can guarantee that you've had a moment in your life when you felt stuck. You know, some of you right now, you feel stuck in a job. You feel stuck in your education process. You feel stuck in your, in your health or maybe in a dysfunctional home or a bad marriage. Some of you feel like you're stuck with frustration or anger or resentment. And some of you maybe feel stuck in anxiety or depression or emptiness. Maybe this Easter you can relate to this uh, picture I saw recently. You know, I feel hollow inside. I mean, who came up with the hollow bunny and just ruined the chocolate bunny? I mean, that's a crime right there, isn't it? You know, you bite, you bite off the ear and it's hollow inside. I know a guy who told, who told his son, the reason the bunny is empty is because the tomb was empty. Come on, man. Don't blame God for the hollow bunny here. You're just cheap. All right? Pay the 10 bucks and get the solid money for the kid. All right? But you know what this feels like, right? You know, something's missing in my life. I don't know what it is, but I feel emptiness. I feel stuck. And the truth is, many of us hope Easter could somehow get me unstuck. But here's why some of us are not very optimistic, because we know that we're stuck in another area of life. We feel stuck in our doubts about God. In fact, that's why some of us stay away from church. I know we might say, well, I'm just too busy to go, or I've got yard work to do, or, you know, whatever it is. But the truth is, you just don't want to go to a place and hear songs and hear teaching about somebody you're not sure that you believe in. And if that's you, I want you to know we're glad that you're here. Doubters are welcome here. And we built this place for you. And the truth is, you know, even church people, uh, all of us struggle with, with doubts. And for some of us, our doubts are intellectual. You know, we hear teaching from the Bible about maybe a flood or talking animals or the children of Israel walking up to the Red Sea and it parts and, you know, they walk across on dry land. And we just think, I'm not sure I can believe that. I'm not sure that really happened. And then we come on Easter and we hear about a guy who died and came back to life. And you think, that's not been my experience. Usually dead people just stay dead. And I'm not sure I can... Hang my hat on that. I'm not sure I can, can buy that. All, and, and you have your doubts. For some of us, our doubts are a little bit different than that. We have doubts from an emotional standpoint. You know, maybe you hear that Jesus forgives sin, and you think to yourself, well, he can't forgive me, not after the bad stuff that I've done. There's no way that he could forgive my sin. And for some of us, our doubts are more personal. They start with, why would God allow these bad things to happen in our world? And I would imagine many people ask that question this week. And then it moves to this. Why would God allow these bad things to happen in my world, in, in my life? Maybe you've had some questions like, why did I have a miscarriage? Why did I get cancer? Why can't I find a job? And it breeds all these doubts. And here's the danger. If you never deal with your doubts, you get stuck in them, and you don't go down the road and reach your full destination. And so that's what we're going to talk about uh, today, because I believe Easter hits our doubts head on. And if you have a Bible with you, why don't you go ahead and open up to John uh, chapter 20. If you don't, you can just follow along and 
We'll put the scriptures up here on the screen, or you can use the Bible in the chair back in front of you. In fact, you can keep that as your gift. Now, it may interest you to know that, you know, our doubts are not new. And one of Jesus' closest friends had doubts. He was one of the 12 that followed Jesus around everywhere that he went. They were called the the followers or the disciples and later on called the apostles. These guys witnessed Jesus heal people. They heard Jesus teach. They heard Jesus say things like he was God in the flesh. He can forgive sin and he can give eternal life. They even heard him predict his own death and resurrection. And and they weren't really sure what to think of that, but they thought Jesus was pretty cool. And so they just kind of went along with it. They went along for the ride and they believed it until he died. And then they began to get nervous and they began to disbelieve. And one of them, by the name of Thomas, turns skeptical and he becomes known as Doubting Thomas. In fact, he struggles so much with doubt that it might encourage you to know that you're not alone in some of the doubts that you, that you have. All right, here's the scene that we're going to talk about. It's now Sunday night. On Friday, they crucified Jesus. And then on Sunday morning, he resurrected, but they don't know it yet, okay? They've heard rumors, but the disciples have gathered together in this room. They've huddled together, and they're, they're scared because they think they're the next ones to be arrested and crucified. And so they gather together, and I want you to see what, what happens from John's perspective because John was there. Take a look here at what he says. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Uh, apparently, when you raise from the dead, you don't need doors, Okay. He just, he just appeared, and it freaked these guys out. I mean, we just did a head count, and now there's one more. Who is it? Oh, my goodness. And Jesus knows that he has frightened these guys. And so look at the first thing that he says here. Peace be with you. In other words, everybody calm down. You know, keep calm and, and, and move on, move along. Or uh, hashtag, I just rose from the dead. Don't freak out. All right, that's what he said. Peace be with you. It's in there. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds. I love this part because he knows that they need, they need proof. He showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Can you imagine how, how they felt when they see that Jesus is, is alive again to know that he came back from the dead? But, but there's one guy who wasn't in the room. You know, take a look at this. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he missed out. You ever miss out on something? Maybe because you left early or maybe because you were, were, were late. You know, I've, I've had this happen at, at a ball game. Maybe, maybe you've had this happen at a baseball game. You know, you're at a Brewer game and Brewers are losing five to two. It's eighth inning and, and you think, well, I'm going to beat the crowd. And so you leave, get to your car turn on the radio, listen to the rest of the game. In the bottom of the ninth inning, the Brewers rally and have a walk-off home run. And it's one of the greatest comebacks in the history of the Brewers. But you left early. You missed out. And that's what Thomas does. Thomas misses, Thomas misses out. And the other disciples tell him, we've seen Jesus. And he's, and he's even, even showed us his hands and his side. But I want you to notice Thomas' reaction. But he replied, I won't believe it. Unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. You know what Thomas is really saying here? He's saying, I'm not falling for this again. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Because I believed it all. I believed Jesus when he said he was God in the flesh. When he, when, I, I believed when Jesus said he could forgive sin. I believed when he said he would come back from the dead. I believed all of it, but he died a horrific death. 
They even put a spear in his side to make sure that he was dead. They wrapped him in, in, in 75 pounds of linen and spices. I know that he's dead and buried, and I'm not falling for it again. Think about it. Thomas is not only saying, I don't believe that Jesus is alive. He's also saying, I don't believe anything Jesus said before he died because I can't trust him anymore. I'm not falling for this again. You ever had that kind of moment in, in, in your life with your faith? You know, maybe some of you here grew up going to church and, and you heard lots of teaching about God and Jesus and you nodded, you know, your head and, and you believed. And then you went to college and you heard a professor say a bunch of stuff trying to discredit any kind of, uh, of faith. And you don't remember anything else that professor said but that. And he may not even believe it anymore, but he said it and it left you with doubts. For some of you, maybe you started praying because your marriage was falling apart or because your friend was, was dying of cancer. And so you prayed to God for, for help, but your marriage still ended and your friend still died. And you thought, I don't even know if God is there. Maybe for some of you, you just never believed. You never grew up in that kind of environment. And you always thought Jesus was a hoax or a myth or a legend. And maybe now you've got kids and they're asking questions like, what happens after we die? And the best answer you can come up with is that we go to a better place. But you're not sure. You have doubts. You know the reason we do this and the reason Thomas does this? Is because when it comes to faith, here's how we live our lives. We let our feelings determine the facts. And that defines our, our faith. I feel like God doesn't exist, and so he doesn't. I feel like God wouldn't forgive me, and so he won't. I feel like Jesus is a myth, and so he probably is. And it defines our faith. But have you ever thought about this? You know, we don't do that in other areas of life, right? We don't do that with, you know, gravity. I feel like I could fly. In fact, I believe I could fly. I believe I could touch the sky. Right? Dream about it night and day, spread my wings and fly away. But no matter how much I believe it, the fact is I'm going to be touching the pavement. Okay? That's the fact of the matter. And we don't do this with, you know, driving our cars. Maybe you're on 94 and, you know, it's backed up, gridlock, and you're mad and frustrated. You're stuck in traffic. But then you see a clearing, you know, off to the right of the highway, and you feel like, you know, if you, t if you go through those trees, okay, you can go through a backyard and find a road, and, and uh, everything will be uh, fine. That's how you uh, feel, but, but here's the fact, okay? You're going to end up like this guy, you know, right here. That's a massive problem, okay? Allstate's not going to help you with that one. We allow feelings to determine facts, but we don't do that with driving and we don't do that with marriage either, do we? Guys, you might feel like paintball is the perfect anniversary gift or Weight Watchers is the perfect birthday gift, but fact is you're going to be on the couch for a long, long time, right? But for some reason, when it comes to our faith, we allow feelings to determine the facts and define our faith. And that's what Thomas is doing and that's what you and I do and Thomas lives this way for about a week. And then take a look at what happens. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time, Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, right? Here we go again. <laughs> but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. And uh, again, he tells them to calm down. Peace be with you, he said. And then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. You know what I love about this? 
Notice what Jesus doesn't say to, to Thomas. He, he doesn't say, I told you I was going to come back, you know. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't call him doubting Thomas. He doesn't scold him for missing the last meeting. He doesn't say, you know, I heard you didn't believe. He just gives Thomas what he needs, the facts. Here's my hands. Here's my side. It's me. And what Jesus teaches Thomas and what Jesus teaches us here about our doubts is instead of letting our feelings determine the facts, let's flip that around and let's allow the facts to determine our feelings. Push aside your fears and doubts and apprehensions and see the facts. And that's what Thomas does. Look at what happens when when Thomas sees the facts. It, It determines his feelings and it defines his faith. Look at how Thomas responds here. My Lord and my God. Thomas exclaimed. This is huge because when Thomas says, my Lord and my my God, he he not only believes Jesus is alive, he believes all of it, that Jesus is God in the flesh, that Jesus forgives sin, that Jesus can give eternal life because when you have the ability to predict your own death and resurrection and pull it off, that pretty much validates everything that you have said. Thomas says, my Lord and my God, not just of this moment, but of everything in my life. He let the facts determine his feelings and define his faith. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe the reason you've been struggling with doubts is because you just don't have the facts. Well, that's why we went to Jerusalem and filmed on location where the facts happened so that it could determine your feelings and define your faith. So let's go over to Jerusalem and let's see where all this happened. ask me sometimes if I ever have doubts about my faith and the truth is it's certainly I do have questions at times and I do have doubts at times but for me those all go away because it's major facts surrounding the end of the road we've been on this journey called the road for the past several weeks and we've been watching Jesus walk and follow his father down these final steps of his life toward the cross but his road does not end at the cross we've watched as he entered the city we've watched as he had his final meal with his followers. We've watched as he wrestled with his father about what was next. And we watched as he suffered from loneliness, with his father abandoning him on the cross because of carrying the weight of the world's sin. But the story doesn't end there. The road doesn't end there. Because this story ends with an empty tomb. And for me, the facts that I build my faith upon are not about a feeling, and it's not even about a teaching or not even about a principle, but it's about some historical events. Behind me is probably the number one faith factor for me, and that is the empty tomb. The fact that the tomb is empty for me says so much about what I believe about Jesus. I mean, think about this. If the people of that day wanted to squelch this myth about Jesus being resurrected, all they had to do was go to the tomb and point to his body, but he wasn't there. If they wanted to just end this thing of Christianity, they could have taken people to the tomb and and pointed out where Jesus was. But he wasn't there. In fact, no one really believed he was coming back. The disciples were not standing around, counting down 10, 9, 8, waiting for it to happen. They weren't even convinced. The very fact that this tomb behind me is empty is enough fact for me to build my faith upon. Not only the empty tomb is a huge faith fact for me, but Also, the eyewitness appearances 
Jesus doesn't just appear to his disciples. He appears to over 500 people over the course of 40 days. People see him both indoors and outdoors, in large groups and small groups. Skeptics and believers alike all see Jesus resurrected. And because of that, it changes their faith based on that fact. You see, if you think about it, 500 people witnessing Jesus is alive again. It's impossible for 500 people to all hallucinate the same thing. And yet Jesus appears to these people, 500 different people that serve as eyewitnesses to the fact that he's not in that tomb anymore. The third fact for me is the radical change in the lives of the followers of Jesus. They all die for what they know to be true. You think about a guy named Peter who was so close and denied Jesus as they arrested him. And he ends up going from being a person who denies Jesus to being a person who dies for Jesus. You think about a guy named Paul who spent the majority of his life trying to imprison Christians and tell them what they believe is wrong. And then he sees Jesus and it changes the course of his life. And he writes most of the books in the New Testament and plants churches all over the place and is eventually executed for his faith. You think about James, the brother of Jesus, who was not a believer in Jesus until after the resurrection. Think about, you think about it, what would it take for your brother to convince you he was the son of God? And James was skeptical until he saw Jesus after he was crucified. He became a follower of Jesus and dies for his faith. In fact, all of the disciples die martyrs' deaths for what they believe. People don't knowingly die for a lie. They don't die for a feeling or a theory or a principle. But that's what makes what we believe so different because it's not based on a historical idea, it's based on a historical event. Jesus is not in the tomb anymore. That's why I love Thomas' story because Thomas is a guy who walked closely with Jesus, saw Jesus do miraculous things. But after the crucifixion, he struggled with doubt. And it tells me that God is a God big enough for us to wrestle with these things. And Jesus is a God who's loving enough to deal with our doubt. Jesus does not come back and condemn Thomas, but instead explains to Thomas who he is. And it's the event of the resurrection that changes Thomas's life forever. And Thomas looks at the resurrected Lord and he sees the nail prints in his hands and in his feet and he falls on his face before Jesus, knowing that the tomb is empty. And he says, my Lord and my God. Historians tell us that Thomas will go on to lead an evangelistic crusade in India telling people about Jesus and he will be taken aside by people who don't like what he's saying and forced to deny his beliefs about Jesus and when he says I will never deny my Lord who died for me they tie him to a tree and thrust the spear through his heart people don't do that for a philosophy or a teaching or an idea but for a historical event and Thomas believed that we can now believe that Jesus is not in this tomb that he's alive and because he's alive, he can be our Lord and our God. So how about you? Where are you in your doubts and in your questions? What Thomas discovered is that if I can believe in Jesus after he died and now resurrected, I can certainly believe in everything he had to say. What about you? Is it time for you to take that step as well and say along with Thomas, my Lord and my God? You know, we all travel down a road we walk through highs and we walk through lows. We walk through difficulties. We walk through betrayals. We walk through personal failure. But all of our roads lead to a grave. Why not choose to follow someone who walked out of the grave? See, we don't have a dead hero. We have a risen Savior who is our Lord and our God. 
I just want to talk to a few groups of people. First of all, I want to talk to those of you that made a decision to follow Jesus. Maybe it was a few weeks ago. Maybe it was a few decades ago. And I just want to tell you that your faith is not in vain. That Jesus is alive. And all your, all your belief, all your prayers, all your giving, all your sacrifices are not in, in vain. Jesus is alive. And, you know, maybe some of you in this first group decided years ago to follow Jesus. But like Thomas, you got sidetracked by doubts. And maybe today is the day that you allow these facts to renew and redefine your faith. And, and like Thomas, you just follow Jesus closer than ever before. And then I want to talk to those of you that are close. But you're not there yet. You've still got some questions. You've got some, some doubts. Uh, you're curious. And... I want you to know that's normal, but don't get stuck there, okay? Press through those doubts. Ask questions. Stick around here. You know, all of us follow somebody in our life, and if someone decides to die on a cross and resurrect from the grave, and, you know, he says he can bring you back to life, too, it's worth investigating. And so press through those doubts. Come back here uh, next weekend. We begin a new series that will help you with your questions and, and, and doubts. Keep coming and see what God does. And then some of you here, you're ready to make a decision to follow Jesus. You're ready to transfer your trust from yourself or from others over to uh, Jesus. In the New Testament, when people would make this commitment, they would express it through baptism. And some of you came here today planning to do this, but maybe some of you have been thinking about it. And you know that, that you need to do it. And really, the only requirement is that you believe these facts about Jesus. And there's no better day than, than today. I mean, what a great way to celebrate Easter and the resurrection of Jesus than for you to go under the water and to, you know, come up to live a new life that Jesus promises to give you. And uh, we've got everything that you need. We've got a, a table in the lobby and a team of people out there ready to help you through this baptism process. It's, it's real simple. We have a t-shirt we give you, a towel, and all the clothing that you need. It's an amazing celebration, and uh, we're going to do it right after the service today. And it'll make this gift real in your life. And so come and join us and, and get baptized. If not, you're welcome to stay and, and watch the others. We express our decision to follow Jesus through baptism. And then every weekend here at River Glen, we share communion to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made and also to reaffirm our, our commitment to follow him. And I want you to know that the reason we call it communion is very important. Communion means relationship. It means connection. It means closeness. And that's possible because Jesus didn't just die on a cross. Lots of people died on crosses. But he's the only one who died on a cross and then walked out of a, a grave. And he's alive. And he wants a relationship with you uh, today. And so I'm going to pray for us. And then we'll share communion. If communion is new to you and you want to take a pass on it, that's fine. But our communion is open to anybody that says yes to Jesus. To anybody that agrees with Thomas and says to Jesus, you're my God. Uh, you're, my, you're my Lord. And when the tray comes down your row, uh, you can take the double cup out. And when you're ready, eat the bread in the bottom cup and then drink the juice in the... Uh, top cup. The bread represents the body of Jesus. The juice represents his blood. And then you can put the cups in the holder in the chair back in front of you. So let me pray for us and then we'll share communion. God, thank you for walking with us through our fears and doubts. 
God, thank you for providing these facts to determine our feelings and define our faith. I pray for, I thank you for those who have who've decided to follow Jesus and, and express their commitment through baptism. I know you'll be celebrating with them. And I thank you for those in here who, who made the decision years ago or, or months ago, but still remain faithful to you and you continue to walk with them. And God, I thank you for Easter where all our faith hinges. And thank you for Jesus who is risen and does not disappoint. And we pray all this in his name. Amen.